0: You can never say, Love me, tender, love me, sweet. Never let me go. You have made my life complete, and I love you so. Love me. Love me true All my dreams fulfill For my darling I love you And I always will Love me Always, uh, it's always good to have a bit of the king in the house. Possibly not usually that king in this house, but um, Elvis is always good. Yeah, give him a hand. Give us Elvis Presley a hand, the late great. Um, and actually, can we give uh, John? Can we give John a hand as well? He's gone um, because he's had to rush out to go to Lower Hutt, to speak in Lower Hutt because Pastor Boone has got kidney stones. So, John O is filling in for there. So, Jordan's in Auckland, uh, John O's sort of here, and then Lower Hutt, and then you've got me. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a great thing about being a part of a movement of churches. We can kind of hang out and help each other out. Um, for those of you who, who were here a few weeks ago when uh, Jordan got the vomiting bug, Boone came in and uh, reciprocated. So, that's awesome. Uh, So never have I heard my name pronounced so many times uh, as we have this morning, which is always slightly embarrassing for me. There's a little bit of a lip here. I hope I don't fall over. Um, I've always had this thing about my name. I've always been embarrassed by my first name. Dougal's a bit of a funny name. Um, And and, and so whenever I ring up, uh, for takeaways or anything like that, or to order anything, I always say it's for Isaac, my son. Uh, not that I don't say Isaac, my son, I just say Isaac. Uh, and it took me, I've been getting coffee from downstairs at Vic Books in our department for three years, and it's taken me two years for them to know what my real name is. I, 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 I came clean uh, at Christmas time, and they said, Oh, what's your name again? Isaac, isn't it? I said, No, it's actually Dougal. Um, I said, "Oh, that's a cool name." And I said, "Oh, that's the first time." Uh, so, anyway, um, I hope you're as. Um, no, I don't hope you're anything. It was a, a very nice, uh, very nice introduction from Jono. So he said uh, they wanted me to talk about tender love, uh, and so I said, "That's cool." So what I thought I'd do is tell you a little bit about my journey so far, uh, and I'd tell you a little bit of some of the things I've learned about uh, tender love and some of the barriers towards tender love that I've seen, and then uh, we'll all go home and have tea and scones. Uh, does that sound all right? Depending on how early I finish, that could either be a late morning tea or an early lunch. Ho- it won't be a late lunch, I can tell you that. Um, so, yeah, so Jono asked me to talk about this, and I said to him, why do you want me to talk about tender love?" And he said sort of, and he just said it before, about, well, you know, you have a, a difficult job and you've got to work with difficult people. I guess he was talking about clients that I sometimes see, but uh, he may not have been. I guess I think that's what he meant. I've, actually, um, when I used to manage a service, somebody said, "Oh, you know, do you, would you prefer to see clients or would you prefer to manage to be a manager?" And I said, "I prefer to see clients hands down because managing normal people is way more difficult than seeing clients." So. Um, but it was very nice. He he said that I, he thought I had a pretty unique perspective on empathy and understanding, which was very nice of him. Um, and that was helpful because I thought, well, how do I get up here and sort of give away, give my own credentials for being tender-hearted? Because that sounds quite, um, it sounds quite the opposite of being tender-hearted. It doesn't sound very humble if I was to get up here and say, well, I'm an expert on uh, being tender. Uh, it, so, um, and then I sort of thought, well, if I know what being tender isn't I must have a definition for what being tender is does that make sense so if I knew what it wasn't so I saw it Oh, what is tender heartedness um so um for you for those of you who have been here we did the uh the first half of we've been going through Bill Hybel's book uh, and I've written it down I always call it the wrong thing it's called who you are when no one's looking and I frequently call it what you do when no one's watching uh but it could be the same thing, couldn't it? Um, anyway, so we've been going through this book, and this is the second, um, the second part of the book. Uh, I think we've got some available uh, at the back. They're like cheap as chips, yeah? Yep. How much are they, Rach? $18. So yeah, look at that. Uh, or you can buy them on um, Kindle for like 9 bucks. So, um, so yeah, so he says, Bill Hybel says, um, he defines tender love as being kind. Uh, being compassionate, being forgiving, as walking in someone else's shoes. And that that kind of, I think that's a really good definition. So let's go with that. It does remind me of a joke, it says, uh, which is, um, never judge somebody else until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Because then when you do, you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. So, um, <laughs> but I didn't, we're not supposed to be joking. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, some of you also might be sitting there thinking, um, that you might know me a little bit and thinking, actually, I don't really think Dougal's a great example of tender love. Uh, you should have seen me before. Um, but also, um, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit um, because I wouldn't blame you for that. But I'll talk about that as we go on. Is that okay? Cool. So, um, I guess that sort of uh, is my first point in a sense and that I think tender love is a journey. Uh, I don't think that you suddenly become, I think some people are probably born more tender than others. Chrissy's a pretty tender loving person. Chrissy's not my wife if you don't, (laughs) we're not related. Uh, But um, I know her, she's Jordan's wife and she's a very tender person. So she's perhaps born with more tenderness, that might be a gifting. Uh, And I think it's open to all of us and and I'll talk about that in a second too. But um, I think it's a journey, I'm not standing up here saying I'm the epitome of tender love. Just be like me. Um, what I'm saying is that I've been on a journey from being um, not so tender to being more tender. If tender, if this is a spectrum that I'm walking along, but I think I think you know you would keep going. Yeah, I don't think it's possible to be ever a hundred percent tender. I think it's a, I think it's a a journey, not a destination, to use a cliche. Um, i don 't actually know if you 'd want to be tender hearted the entire time there 's some downsides to being tender hearted rachel 's nodding all the all the hard hearted people are nodding <laughs> <laughs> jordan 's preaching about um, jordan 's preaching on uh, tough love next week and it 's re- I think it 's really really good because I think that it underlines that it's, it's, um, there 's lots of facets to love and it 's not and I make the mistake probably, particularly at work and in my work environment, sometimes of being too tender. And that's at the expense of being tough when I need to be. Um, so, But Jordan's going to talk about tough love next week. So, um, yeah, you may not want to be tender-hearted the entire time. I don't think it's probably useful. Um, Jesus wasn't all the time, and he's a good sort of role model. He got angry at the um, people in the... Um, in the temple, he sort of ripped up stuff and threw things over, and I don't. And he's, so I think he was quite angry at that time. So he wasn't this. Uh, he wasn't always sort of floating around on a cloud, um, touching people, and going "Oh, bless you." Uh, you know, sometimes he was. He was. He was annoyed about things. Um, so uh, he got angry with the disciples as well when they were in the Garden of. Gethsemane was it And at Easter And they, he was going I can't you even pray For like 10 minutes I'm away doing stuff With God And you are well, Falling asleep uh, So um, But it is, a, it is a journey So wherever you are I think you can always Be more tender Yeah Is that okay And And as John mentioned My job at, Well at the moment I'm at Vic Uni And I'm training Little psychologists To be big psychologists um, And we've done a fine job Haven't we Emma where are they? I can't even see her. There she is, yeah. Uh, so, um, and part of that is I continue to see clients, which is really nice. Um, so, see them with, because that's sort of the, the the reason I went into the job. Um, and I've met probably, so I've been working in that area for oh, a long time, almost 20 years. Uh, and over that time, I've met lots and lots and lots of people, probably hundreds of people that I've worked with I imagine it'll definitely be hundreds I don't think it's in the thousands but it's definitely hundreds and pretty much all the people I have seen uh, have got some sort of hurt some sort of uh, heartbreak if you like some sort of uh, something that's not going well in their lives um, and that they want to do differently uh, and I think that's really cool um, but not everybody you'd think wouldn't you, that i just sit there and people would come and say, I'm really depressed and I don't want to be depressed anymore. And you go, oh, that's great. But not everybody actually comes to it like that. Some people come to you uh, and they're clearly hurting, but they don't necessarily want your help. uh, Or they might be angry uh, at me, or they might be angry at somebody else. Um, They might feel too ashamed to talk. Um, And so it's... it's, um, and sometimes I offer them really good advice and they don't follow it, which is like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, so there's this, there, there develops this tension, and you come across it pretty early in your training, this tension between, uh, and you, you go to, come into the job being quite naive, going, I just want to help people, and be, the world will be a great place. Uh, and so this tension between wanting to help people and people who you think should want help don't always need it or want it in the, in the way that you expect it. Um, and, and that's hard, right? Um, and it could lead to a couple of options. It could lead to you hardening your heart. Oh, you see, they're just not motivated. They're just lazy. Uh, they want to be like that. Uh, they don't really want to change. Uh, and if you've worked in the area even for a little bit of time, uh, like Emma or like Joe, you would have heard that a lot. They don't want to change. Um, and I think that's a choice because I think early on in my career, I did that. Oh, well, you see they haven 't done what I told them to do, therefore they don't want to be uh, they don 't want to be like that there, there's something in it for them to keep going like that um, and I, I definitely have been like that, but the mo- the more i 've worked, the more I've realised i 've realized i don 't want to be like that that to me that 's a really hard, calcified heart um, and um, and, I've, and it, it's not a satisfying way for me to be, and I don't think it's the way that God wants us to be, um, and that's where I've had to start developing tenderness. So I, I went into the job with a whole lot of good intentions and then came up with these roadblocks, and, and either I could develop hard-heartedness or I could develop tenderness. So I've had to work at developing tenderness. Um, I've had to work at developing kindness, uh, I've had to work at developing compassion and I've had to work at developing empathy for other people. And they don't necessarily come easily and they take some quite hard uh, work. I think most people's, many people's default setting is uh, to not be compassionate. Uh, I th- and I think that's really easy to be. Uh, and, I'll talk, and I'm going to talk about that in a wee second. Um, because I think tender heartedness is a choice. You know, some of you will be sitting there thinking, "Oh, well, that's not my gifting." You see, Ugh. I'm 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 into tough love, me, or I'm into some other sort, or it's you know I'm really into practical support, not loving people. And I would say, rubbish, uh, which isn't a very tender-hearted thing to say, is it? When you think about it, uh, and I'll tell you why I say that. Um, bec- to firstly, my own experience when I was when I started at uni, I was a, quite a different person. Um, I weighed slightly less, had less facial hair, uh, didn't have my wonderful wife, but I met her there, so, and I didn't have two kids, so that was a long time ago, um, and I I was just me, uh, and I remember one of my lecturers once describing me, I don't think to my face, but to somebody else as being supercilious, and I thought, "Oh, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I wonder what that is, but it sounds good, right, it's super, so that mean, must mean it's pretty good, so I went away and looked that up in the dictionary, you know, but, Ooh, I wonder what that means, and it means looking, looking or acting as if you believe you're better than somebody else, and I went, oh, that's not very s- super at all, um, and, and if I'm honest, I didn't feel like I was um, better than anybody else, um, but Clearly, there was something about the way I was that led other people to think that I thought that, if if that makes sense. Um, So I made it, and that sort of stuck with me a little bit, and I I made a conscious decision to change that, to think, do you know what? Clearly, what's inside of me is not coming out very clearly, because if that's the impression people have, then... That was the exclamation point at the wrong point. Um, so clearly, uh, yeah, clearly if, if other people see me as super silliest and, and I, I don't think I am or I don't feel like I'm better than anybody else, there must be something different going on. So I need to change what I do. I need to change who I am. Um, and I've bec- I think I've become more tender over time. I don't think anybody, particularly at work, I'm trying not to look on full wife because she might say, you. you're not the definition of tenderness. Um, but, um, but yeah, yeah. so I think I've become more tender over time. And that's certainly the feedback I've had from people, particularly at work. The other thing I would say, that how do I know that you can develop tenderheartedness? Um, Maddie, Maddie's in the wings, mysteriously moving the projector. Have you got the Galatians um, scripture, Maddie? I can't even see her, so I don't know if she's got it or not. Bam, shoo. Is that, have you got that Galatians 1, 5.22? Possibly. John always goes, whoosh, and it just appears like that. Yeah, there you go. So Galatians uh, 5.22, the Holy Spirit. Th- so this is about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been to church like at least three times, you've probably, have especially sort of a, I don't know what we call, what do we call this sort of church? Pentecostal. If you've been to a Pentecostal church, you hear about this sort of stuff. The Holy Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace. No, I won't, I'll stop, I won't race through them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. There's two more, isn't there? Gentleness and self control. There's no law against these things, which is good. Um, and the message puts it slightly differently. It says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that basic holiness permeates things and people. My point is that, that those fruits of the Spirit, and a lot of those speak to tenderness, right? A lot of them love, kindness, gentleness, um, Compassion—they're not just available to some of us. They're fruits of the Holy Spirit. They are available to everybody. Uh, yes, you have to do some work, though. But so, so it's—I it, don't think it's true to say that uh, to sit there and say, "Well, I can't really develop tenderness because it's not my gifting." Uh, I think you can, and I think the Bible says that you can too. It might be hard for some of you, and. Um, and that's okay. I'm sorry that it's hard, but that's how it is. Um, yeah. So, um, so how have I gone about choosing to develop tenderness? Um, so, uh, a couple of things. So, I reckon. Firstly, I've had some really good role models, uh, and one of those is in John eight uh, scripture. Maddie. Whoosh. Whoosh. <coughs> now I'm trying to find the right word to get it up. Pow! Now, or, yeah, was, that was a pow. So I'll remember that. So John 8. Ooh, uh, yep, hold it there, Maddie. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could, uh, they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. I always wonder what he was writing. I don't actually, I don't actually think it says what he was writing. It could have been doodling. <laughs> um, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust again. Curious to know what he was writing. Uh, when the accused accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Well, neither do I. So go and sin no more. So first that's 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 something that I a scripture that I keep close to me that I come back to, and I'll explain that in a second. The other the other person I have as a role model is a, uh, is a psychologist, which isn't surprising, hopefully, because that's my line of work. Um, and she's a, re- well, reasonably, as you won't have heard of her, for, so she's famous in psychology. Uh, but um, her name is Christine Padeski, and she does a lot of work. Um, and I saw her uh, at a workshop, and I was blown away. Um, by her compassion for other people. And she, somebody asked her about it and she said, well, what I do is I assume that 95% of people that I see, and we'll leave the 5% alone because they were a special group, but 95% of people coming coming to see you come at life with good intentions. So they have the best intentions. They may not act out... It may not seem to you like they're coming at it, but most people come at life with good intentions. No, most people don't come at life wanting to be nasty, horrible, evil, wicked people. And so what I've learned from that sort of mash-up of psychology and Jesus talking to the woman who was going to be stoned is that I really take from that, for me to develop tenderness is not to judge other people. Yeah, I've learned along my way that good people can do bad things. Um, I've learned that many of us, including me, can make mistakes Uh, and that some people make bigger mistakes than other people but it doesn't mean they're a bad person. If I choose to see them as a bad person and I believe it's a choice, then they will probably be a bad person. If I choose to view somebody as manipulative and defensive, funnily enough, do you know what? They often see me as manipulav- manipulative and defensive. If I choose to see the good or look for the good in other people, I've found that people se- t- seem to see the good in me as well. And But I have to start from a point of not judging them. Um, I've learned particularly that I, one that's, and judgment comes across in a whole lot of different ways, good and bad, but there's whole lots of subtleties. I know that I'm often, I have a, at the moment anyway, something I'm really aware of is judging other people's capacity. Um, and over time, I've learned that there's always somebody that's got less capacity than you. And there's, always somebody that's got way more capacity than you have like um, yeah and 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 I have to keep reminding myself of those things because because I notice that when I start judging people and I do that in my head you know, I I don't do it out loud very much at all, I do it in my head a lot uh, and I think we all do right, that's how our brains are trained to work, we're trained to make judgments about things, it makes life technically a bit easier if we make lots of judgements um, but I'm aware that I do it a lot in my head and every time I do it I, I get um, I, I basically get a kick in the backside an example happened last night so we had gone out uh, Rachel and I had gone out to some friends place and we hadn't seen them for a while and we were talking away and I said to one of our friends, I said, oh did you see that Facebook post from a certain person who as a joint friend, the Facebook post had basically said, look, I've been really busy, and I was supposed to go to this big conference in Australia and speak, but I was just really tired, and so I, and I got to the airport, and I basically put on a sob story at the airport and said, I can't go, and they gave me a refund on my flights, and, you know, and I had lots of judgments about that, uh, about her capacity. And I would say, yeah, God, that's a bit stinky. You know, it's sort of last minute. And um, imagine if you were the conference organisers, and this person pulls out because they're a bit tired. Well, I've been a bit tired and, you know, I haven't pulled out of stuff. And then somebody else said, yeah, um, she's got multiple sclerosis so that when she gets really tired and stressed, her disease comes on more strongly. And I was going... I died a little bit inside. I was going, oh. I, I can physically feel myself cringing when I do it. And it just was another one. Remont- <laughs> Shut up. Because every time I do it, every time I do it, I, I'm reminded of, oh, actually, you d- I've just made a judgment about you. And then, sure there might be somebody that can't right at this moment Do as much as I'm doing But I guarantee there's somebody that can do more And I guarantee there's somebody Who've got some very good reasons why they can't So I try So in terms of tenderness If, if this is what we're talking about One of my go-to sort of touchstones for keeping tender Is don't judge somebody else Second thing I've sort of learned from my mash-up of Jesus and psychology Jesusology Yeah, that might be it um, is that when you n- get to know somebody and get to know them really, really well, I don't just mean doing 180 for 180, because uh, that's not really getting to know you. Uh, it's hard not to feel tender love for them. So in, I, I think one of the one of um, the abilities that Jesus has that comes through a lot in, in lots of stories in the Bible is about his, his ability to see into people. You know, like he knew that that woman who was a charged, um, was, was accused of, of um, adultery, he, he knew her. Um, and there was that, there's also that story about uh, the woman at the well, I think it is, the Samaritan woman at the well, and he said something to her like, oh, you know, where's your husband? And she said, oh, I don't have one. And he said, no, you're right, you've got about four or something in a row. He's, he had the supernatural ability to know people. Uh, now, I don't have that. So I have to take time uh, to get to know people. But, um, and I've met with many, many, many hundreds of... Oh, I'm exaggerating now. I've met with 7,000 people in my life. No, uh, I've met with lots and probably hundreds of people, as I've said before, in my career. And what continues to surprise me is that when you get to know somebody and really, really get to know them, that we, I think we have a real privilege in my profession of doing that. We get to sit with somebody for, you know, at least if you go to see a doctor, most of you probably haven't been to a psychologist. I encourage you to go. They're great people, most of them. Um, but, um, you know, you're probably used to going to see a doctor. So you go and see a doctor and you say, how's it going? And uh, I've got this sore leg and he has a look at it and looks up your file and goes, well, that's probably because you're running on it and you've strained it. So there you go, have a prescription, and off you go. Then that's like 10 minutes. You have a 10-minute block for seeing a GP. You can get an extra appointment. You can get 20 or 15 minutes if things are really bad. So in my job, our, our sort of default setting is seeing somebody for an hour. Uh, and so and we usually take maybe two or three maybe sessions, to. so that's three hours, to sit down with somebody and get to know them and talk to them. And, uh, and, and sort of really figure out what's going on w- with them. So obviously in that time you get to know somebody pretty intimately. They tell you stuff that they possibly haven't told anybody uh, before. And I, every time I do that, it, and it continues to surprise me, is that not far below the surface, most people I've met have some level of shame, some level of guilt some level of sadness, uh, some level of things not going w- as well for them in their life as they would like to go. Um, and for me, and I've met some people who've done terrible things. Uh, I was just thinking about as I was writing this, I remember in my internship um, many years ago I worked at the forensic service, not not here, I was in another city. Um, and so, forensics is about people that have done uh committed a crime, and then they 've got a and there's the suggestion that they may have s- that somehow their mental health may have uh led them to committing a crime uh it's different from corrections the the saying is forensics is being mad, not bad, and corrections is bad not mad um so um so forensics i 'm dealing with pretty so um you know, if you ever hear somebody in the news that's been uh, found guilty, uh, not, not guilty by reason of insanity, that is forensics. So people have done some pretty horrible things. So I remember I met, uh, in the space of six months, I met two arsonists, uh, and everybody said, oh, you're lucky to see two. I said, oh, am I? <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, so I met two arsonists, and they'd done an awful lot of damage. One, one, had, one had just done a small amount of damage, just sort of setting some bins on fire, but another guy had burned down quite a lot of things and caused quite a lot of damage uh, and people were quite angry at Uh and uh, uh, met some pedophiles as well people that are sexually attracted to children uh, and that had been arrested for doing that uh, I have met uh, even on the lower level of things people that have uh, committed fraud um, committed adultery I've met people that have sold drugs um and those are things that are easy to judge. Come back to judgment about doesn't it? Judge from a distance. Oh, they're evil, they're bad. But when you really get to know people, when they tell you their innermost thoughts and feelings, I find it almost impossible not to feel some tenderness for them. I don't agree with what they've done. I went to church and they said it was all right to burn things. No, they didn't. But that's not what I'm saying, right? I'm saying that, uh, I guess it relates back to the judgment point a bit too, is that I know that good people, or normal people perhaps, do bad things. And I put myself in that category. Uh, I haven't done any of those things. But, um, but, you know, I think that, and when I get to know people that just below the surface, um, that there is pain, there is hurt, there is shame, and it's really, really hard not to feel tenderness when you're sitting in a room with somebody, even if they've done terrible things, but they're crying and telling you about their life. And you go, oh my god. <laughs> um, because pr- oft those things don't just happen out of the blue. So, told you a little bit about my journey so far and that, that some of the things that I've found really helpful are um, are about Choosing to be tender and acknowledging that it's a journey um, that you're always it's some uh, uh, and, and a choice like that is something that you 're always heading towards I'm, I'm I choose to be tender, so i 'm going to keep heading towards that and i 'm going to slip up, but um that's okay because that's just being human right uh, talked about some of my role models um, and and what i 've learned that I ne- from that what I l- need to to do to become tender But I also want to talk to you about What gets in the way of tenderness um, Because uh, I can't hand on heart say Oh I'm tender all the time And it comes back to that point that I made earlier is Some of you uh, Might be thinking well, What's he talking about anyway I've known him for quite a while he, Some of you may have known me for many years Or sort of known me Known who I am perhaps uh, And go well, He's never come across as that tender uh and you would uh you would be right uh in coming across as have as that as I might come across like that. Um so, um what gets in the way for me of being tender? And sort of I'm sharing these thoughts with you in the hope that they might help you. Uh assuming. Well, I, I notice that when I make assumptions about people, that gets in the way of me being tender. Uh, I had a one of our students, um, recent students, not an old student. Emma. Uh, uh, he so he'd been working with me, and then he's working somewhere else this year. And he had um, uh, the client that he was working with said, "Can I have a copy of the report that you guys wrote?" I said, "Yeah, sure, that's not a problem." I looked it up on our system and found it, and and found that it hadn't been completed. And this was a student that was a bit tardy in the first place, was always slightly late. The running gag was that he would always be at five minutes late for class. Oh, sorry, my bus was late. Go and get another bus then. Um, but, you know, oh, God, he was always running in at the last minute and, and nothing was ever quite done on time. We had to hound him a bit to get all his paperwork finished. So it wasn't a massive surprise to me that when I pulled up this file, his report wasn't complete. So I... So I I typed an email and then deleted that and typed another one and oh, put that in the trash. I won't, won't send that. Are you allowed to, is it professional to swear? Possibly not. Uh, so um, so eventually I sent off a, a nicer one saying, hey, student X, <laughs> um, just had a request for this report, but I noticed that it's not finished. You really need to finish it ASAP. I need to send it out by Thursday, and this was Monday. And I was... Fuming, I was a bit angry inside. Lost my tenderness for him. He's a nice guy, but um, oh, he says. Um, so he emails me back and he says, "Oh, no, I'm pretty sure that I finished that. Can I just have a look around because I don't, I'm not sure what's happened to it, but I'm pretty sure that I did finish it." And about ten minutes later, he'd got into the same system and found it slightly different place. Um, and I went, oh, <laughs> because I had made the assumption that he w- had not done something. And I'd looked around a little bit, but I'd immediately assumed that he was then lazy and, and a bit useless. And as I did that, my tenderness sort of evaporated. Um, so I had to limp back and say, "Hi, oh, yeah, my mistake. Sorry, there it is. Thank you very much. I'll send that out now. So that that gets in the way of tenderness for me. Um, What else gets in tenderness? Um, For those of you that know me a little bit, I'm hilarious. Uh, I'm very, very funny. Um, But um, unfortunately, that actually gets in the way sometimes. Um, In fact, a lot of the time. Because it prevents me from getting to know you very well. Uh, So uh, my history of that, Sit down take take some notes, and we'll go into my own sort of session. Um, so my own history of developing that was um, we went I went to a pretty uh, tough school, uh, lower decile school and um, i 'm not looking at my wife because she had a, they had a nickname for our school, which wasn't very uh, complimentary uh, it was related to um, us uh, having a high teen pregnancy rate and questions about yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, we went to this pretty pretty uh, tough school, uh, tough in terms of hard, school of hard knocks, and I, uh, I was not the uh, man of physical prowess that you see before you today. Uh, it may, may surprise some of you to know. Uh, and I was pretty good at school, In a school where being pretty good at school wasn't actually particularly valued. Um, but I could sort of make people laugh and so that was a useful skill for me to develop uh, so that I didn't get pounded, basically. Um, so if I could make people laugh, they could stop and I'd say something funny and they'd go, oh, yeah, and put me down. Um, so, um, so that was good. Uh, you can win friends and influence people and it can get you a long way. But where it can't get you is, as is it, is it can for me anyway, it acts as a barrier to me getting to know you. So I often will be jokey and smiley and friendly like at church and pretty much have a surface-level conversation with you. Um, and sometimes that's appropriate, right? I'm not going to sit down with you and, at the end of church for, and say, so how's it really going? What do you really feel? One of those terrible psychologist questions, but what do you feel? I feel like smacking you in the face. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> um, so, um... Yeah, so my sense of humour can get in the way uh, and lead me not to get to know you very well. And and, and I, for me, that's a point: is that if you can't get to know somebody very well, go, you know, goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It's really hard to develop tenderness uh, because I don't know you, and equally, you probably don't me don't know me. Um, what else? Um, tiredness and being rushed. That robs me of tenderness time and time again Um, And I thought about that And I know that I'm at my least tender when I'm tired And I know that probably I'm at my most tired when I'm at home So I'm probably least tender at home Sorry Um, But um, because being tender actually takes time and effort Unless you're born really, really on the tender end of the spectrum Way over here where it just comes naturally. It doesn't come necessarily very naturally to me. What comes naturally first is judgments and negative thoughts about people, not tenderness. So for me, trying to be tender and and not judge somebody is quite an effortful process, and it takes me a lot of energy. So when I'm tired or I'm busy, I lose that ability. Um, So that's something that... um, Interestingly, too... I think it opens me up to some sort of spiritual attack as well. Earlier in the week, I was uh, in my head. Uh, it was a tiny. Th- I can't even actually even remember what it was now. On Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday night, I was steaming about something, and I oh, said, "No, well, <laughs> I'm leaving church." Uh, in my in my head, in my head, you can say all sorts of things to you in your head. Um, uh, so, and and. Um, and, and and I was not feeling tender at all. And I just had a little bit of an epiphany that went, ah, isn't that funny? I'm supposed to be talking about tender love on Sunday, and here I am being completely robbed of it. And often people talk about that, oh, I've heard people talk about that before, about you step out in faith in something, and then you get smacked back right in the area that you're stepping out. So I sort of actually took that as a vote of confidence, really, so... Um, So just a couple of other things, and maybe we can get the band up uh, now. Um, What else robs me of being tender? Um, Being a bit socially anxious. Hands up if you really like meeting new people. Cool, so that's about seven or eight. Well done. So that's probably about, which I think is roughly about, right? I, I remember seeing a young person who had really bad social anxiety, and she said, oh, nobody nobody feels like this at all. And I said, let's do a quick poll. So we went around the staff... And of about 20 staff, everybody said, oh, no, I hate it. It would be more like my worst nightmare having to – I think the scenario was, what happens if you had to share a car ride to Auckland with somebody you didn't know? And everybody went, oh, God, that would be terrible. I just, oh, I'd feign going to sleep so that I wouldn't have to talk, apart from two people out of the 20 who said, that would be an awesome opportunity to meet new people. Go, oh, um, so most people, if you're, if you're naturally outgoing and gregarious, God bless you. Um, and we could probably learn from you. Most people, and myself included, don't. It's not easy, and you get a bit socially anxious. And you think, "Oh God!" You can use humour; that always works, except it prevents you getting to know people. Um, so, social anxiety can stop you getting to know people, which then stops you being tender, and keeps you in your own little shell. Two more things that I can think of: expectations which to me is probably closely related to judgment. Who are the people I expect most of in my life? They're the people that are closest to me, like my family. I expect them to be exactly like me, and they aren't, and I'm probably least tender with them. It's because I expect, and I have to stop sometimes going, I don't expect anything of them. And then if I stop and think about it, I think, oh, I probably actually do. I expected that they would have read my mind and done the dishes. Or read my mind and bought me breakfast in bed, what's going on <clears throat> so expectations and the last thing that I can think of that robs me of tenderness is getting sucked back into old habits um, I feel it I almost physically feel it sometimes when, so Rachel and I, for those of you that don't know originally came from Dunedin but we haven't lived there for a long time 15 years maybe, but I feel myself, and some of you guys might have had this experience too, when I go back there, being sucked into old ways. I become almost a different person to the point where people, old friends of mine in Dunedin, I think have a completely different view of people that are now my friends. Have you ever had that experience? Many of you might have. You go back home for like Christmas or a family thing, and you slip back into being like the little brother again, or um, or um, your mother's always your mother, so she's always going to tell you off, even though I'm 44 years old. What are you driving like that for? So, and I slip back into be into the old habit of being uh, a kid. There was a. A family therapist called Jay Haley, I think, who um, who, who uh, was radical in the 1960s and decided that one Christmas when he was going to go home, he was just going to speak directly into all those um, old habits that people did. So when somebody sort of rolled their eyes behind somebody's back, which is what they always did, and nobody ever commented on it, he decided to call it out and say, why did you roll your eyes like that at mum? And it must have been the Christmas from hell. <laughs> Because sometimes you just have to go back into old habits. But I know that I can get sucked back into old habits, yeah? That, that I slip back, some particular friends of mine drag me back into the old way of being me, the old less tender way. So, kind of to sum up, I think tenderness is hard and it's a choice. I think that it's open to uh, all of us, um, and I think you ha- if you want it, you have to work for it. And I believe that we all should be more tender, even if you are like Chrissy and sort of pretty high on the tenderness stakes already. Oh, well, that's going to go badly. You could be more tender, couldn't you? Oh dear, no, I'll no, no, stop there. I-, I can be. I know I can be more tender. I know it's something that I have to. The, thing, the very last thing that I'll end with, though, is that this, remember this is only part of the story. As I said earlier, being tender is great. I wouldn't go back to being a hard-hearted person for anything. But I know that it also brings with it some faults. And I think that you need to balance it with tough love. Which is what Jordan's speaking on And at the very end We haven't we've taken it off the screen But at the very end of that passage of John Where Jesus is talking to the woman Who committed adultery Really tender, loving At the very last thing he says I don't condemn you either Now go away But don't sin again So he's not saying I'll love you always Just whatever He's, he's actually setting some tough love rules and so don't go away from here going, oh, it's just tender love all the time. Come back next week and hear about tough love, yeah? So um, what I want to do, uh, I'd really like us just to, um, I think the trick with these messages, any message that you hear in church, is you can leave here in five or 10 minutes' time and go about the rest of your life just like it never happened. The trick is how do you take what you hear on a Sunday and come along to Sunday evening. That'll help. That'll cement it. We've got a panel tonight uh, so we can talk more about it. But how do you take what you hear here and carry it out into your individual lives? What I wanted to do is I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Show them the love that you have for them, Lord. And now t- I want you to turn your mind to Your family and friends, those people that are really dear to you. And we're going to pray for them. So, Lord, we pray for the collective family and friends that we have here. We pray for those that are close to us. We pray for our children if we have them. We pray for our parents. We pray for our close friends. We thank you that they're in our lives. We ask you to bless them abundantly. Finally, just as you're standing there, can I get you just to summon up into your mind people that you really don't like? People that have hurt you, that have offended you, that have caused you hurt, that have caused you pain, and may still be doing it. And then we're going to pray for them. Lord, we pray for those people that we would consider our enemies. We pray for those people who have hurt us. We pray for those people who are mean to us. We pray for those people that judge us, that don't like us, that persecute us. And Lord, we ask your blessings upon them. Lord, we know that you came to love everybody. And Jesus, that you're the great example of tenderheartedness. And you loved even those who came to kill you, Father. So Lord, we just ask your blessings on those people. And just as people have got their eyes closed and their heads bowed, at Quippers, we always like to give people the opportunity to make a response. So if you... haven't made a decision before to, to follow Jesus, or you have and you stepped away from it recently or many years ago, this is an opportunity just for you to make a commitment back to Him. And I know a friend of mine once who came once said, oh, that's a pretty, pretty big thing to do. Yeah, it is a pretty big thing to do. All I'd get you to do is if that's you, is if you're saying, man, I really want to make this commitment to Jesus, is, is all I'm going to ask you to do is put up your hand we're not going to single you out, we're not going to ask you to come to the front um, but it's just a physical way that you can acknowledge that because you need, if you need to you need to actually do something you need to take a step do some active behaviour so if that's you just put up your hand and we just, we'd pray for you as a church we'll pray all together so we're not singling you out cool. I haven't seen any hands but that's cool we don't want to ever let a Sunday go past without it, that opportunity. So, um, so let's pray anyway. I'll lead, uh, uh, and then uh, I think we're going to finish with a song of praise. because It's always good to go at praising. So Lord, we thank you so much for your tenderness. We thank you for your tender love of us. We thank you that no matter how much we fail to live up to your standards, that you keep loving us That you don't throw us out. That you don't make judgments about us. That you don't cut us off from your love. That your love is never ending and always available. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you that we can be loved by you and that we are loved by you. Lord, we just pray that we would be able to, to pour that love out towards others. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would become tender. That we'd get over our judgmentalness. That we'd take time to stop and get to know people. And through that, we'd come to know and to love people, just like you know and love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Very cool. All right. Well, I hope that was good. And uh, stick around for morning tea. We'd love to have you for morning tea.